0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. I, I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at.
1: What's up, Bits of Gold fam? Happy Monday. Hope you all had an amazing week. So excited for this episode today. Today, my guest is Christine McAllister. Christine is passionate about helping impact-driven entrepreneurs attract their next clients by being value-driven podcast guests. She's generated well over six figures as a podcast guest and has been recognized as the best in the world at podcast guesting by seven-figure founders like John Lee Dumas, Dana Wild, and more. A media expert for two decades, she's helped broadcast the Olympic Games, produced an award-winning documentary for PBS, and has been featured in Inc., Business Insider, Bustle, The Huffington Post, and she's been on over 100 podcasts. But today, I'm most excited to share her personal story of loss, finding purpose, and building a purpose-driven life. After having three miscarriages and fertility treatments, Christine finally got and stayed pregnant in 2014. But at nine months, Along with a car seat in the car and ready for her baby, her world was shattered. On March 4th, 2015, she lost her first daughter, Maeve, at full term. As devastated as she was, she became determined to rise from the ashes and make her life worth living. Today, she's doing just that and more in making a difference in the world and creating a legacy for both herself and her daughter. I feel so privileged to share this story with you today and hopefully open up a much broader conversation around the difficulties rarely talked about in society around pregnancy and loss. With that, I hope you enjoy this episode. Christine, thank you so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm so, so excited to have you on. Well, we can jump right into it. The story of how we connected, I was browsing LinkedIn, and something that you put on there just truly resonated and hit home with me personally. Your story, we'll dive into that in a second, but more after your your story, your loss, how you changed your motto, changed your life. And something you put that just hit home for me was you became determined to rise from the ashes and make my life worth living. Super powerful stuff there. So very excited to dive into your story and share it with our audience today.
0: Yay. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to get to Pass on some legacy from the pain, right? This is what we're here to do on the other side of it.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'll hand off the mic to you to you know dive into your story wherever you want to start.
0: Well, I think that I honestly grew up feeling kind of guilty for having struggling with things like depression and anxiety because I I really had a great experience growing up, and so I am a very sensitive person very high achieving type A star student, got attention by doing the right things and checking the right boxes. And so that worked sort of, it worked well all the way through school. And I really wanted to do my own thing when I graduated from grad school, but I didn't have the path. I thought I didn't have the plan, but in retrospect, I was just scared. Like I was scared that I wouldn't be able to figure it out. And so I I really played small then I became an employee. And I was able to do some great things. I started my own business, managed to quit my job after several years, and was just kind of humming along until 2015, when I was expecting my first daughter, uh, my first baby, I didn't know what I was having. And I had had some infertility struggles. So I had had three early miscarriages, and some trouble getting pregnant, but this pregnancy had been perfect. And I was full term and basically told to go put my feet up and wait to go into labor. And the car seat was in the car. And I went to one of my last appointments and there was no heartbeat. So this baby that I had carried for nine months and had the baby showers and done all the things and the nursery was ready was suddenly gone. And of course, in a state of shock, you know, I was told to go straight to the hospital because I was going to be induced to deliver this baby. And I was like, that's unfathomable. Like how in the world am I supposed to go through labor knowing that this thing had, like, I'm looking down at my big belly and I'm being handed pamphlets about how to plan my baby's funeral. And I didn't know that this was a thing that could happen. Like nowhere on my radar, everybody talks about pregnancy loss being in the first trimester. That's when it's most common. But I didn't know that you could get past the point of, okay, the baby could survive if it was born prematurely, and then it could still pass away. And so really, like you mentioned, I mean, that sort of burned everything that I thought I knew about life and the way life was supposed to go and the order of things to the ground. You know, you're not supposed to outlive your children. And I thought I had done everything right up into that point. I thought that life was more linear. Like you do a thing, you do this, you do this, then you do this, you get married, then you do this. That's how it goes, right?
1: Yeah. I think that's how a lot of people think life, life is supposed to go. Everyone has a plan. It's like that Mike Tyson quote, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know why we have that. We grow up with that illusion, right? Do you have any idea why we do? Is that just how our brains work?
1: That's a great question. I'm not sure. But if I had to take a hunch, I feel like part of it is also just like societal driven, where it's like, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. I think especially in America, we're like, very structurally oriented, like, you're supposed to go to school, you're supposed to graduate school, you're supposed to get this job, you're supposed to climb the ladder. I think that conversation or that message is changing maybe a little bit. But Mm. I have so many friends who I would say They sort of are on that path where it's like, I went to school, I graduated college, I got the job. And then I think a lot of people, honestly, they have a moment where they do wake up, whether it is some life circumstance, or they wake up in their late 20s, early 30s, and they realize they're completely miserable with what they're doing. It's funny you ask that, because I feel like there's so many people today who are in their early 20s, late 20s, early 30s, in that like first decade of their professional life where they've reached a point where they are completely miserable with what they're mm-hmm. doing and they're trying to figure it out. I don't know. I, th- I think a lot of it has to do with like social media, but I am really fascinated by the amount of people I know that are doing things that they completely hate on a daily basis. And I don't know. I think that's part of one of the messages that I hope to share on this show and many of the episodes to help people realize that it doesn't have to be that way, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, waking up, right? Like, instead of being the the drone that is just going to work, and like you said, climbing the ladder, because that's what you're supposed to do, right?
1: Yeah. I don't mean to shift this to narrowly around work, but I was having a talk once with a close family friend of mine, and she just sort of said, you know, I was telling her with my own work stuff, hey, I want to try to find... way to be happier with what i'm doing on a daily basis and Mm. the response that i got was you know there's so few people that are truly happy with what they're doing on a daily basis so sometimes you settle for good enough and i was just like so blown away by that response in the worst way possible Mm. because i was like you know that's that's your belief that's not going to be my belief
0: totally totally right and that's that's why we're here right (laughs) (laughs) so we're pursuing something That's is new, and that wasn't available, you know, a generation ago, and that our brains—I don't think—are really caught up to yet in terms of it's okay, you know, for a lot of us, it's okay to do this thing. It's okay for there to be a woman who makes five figures a month selling cat grooming videos on the internet, right? (laughs) That's a real example. That's—I use that with my clients all the time. I'm like, if she can do that,
1: you know. I I have good friends who are like the. The leader is in the cat backpack space, and they built an entire business around cat backpacks.
0: Whoa, see?
1: Yeah, yourcatbackpack.com, giving them a shout out.
0: All right, <laughs> I'm going to look that up for my little one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I think I think that's sort of the power of... Also, just with the internet, I think it's it's like a double-edged sword, because I think on one end, you have so much... You have like limitless opportunity. You can virtually take your life so many directions because of the power of the internet and... The amount of resources at your fingertips to go and do the things you want to do are right there. But I do think it's a little bit of a double edged sword because I think things like if you spend too much time scrolling on Instagram, it becomes a toxic, toxic place.
0: Totally. And it's overwhelming for our brain, right? Like it's just too much information. It's too much comparison. It's just too much input, right? And it's paralyzing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to get back into your story. I want to talk about the three early miscarriages because one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have you on today is, as I mentioned, I'm pretty plugged into a big community of people who have lived through significant loss. But one thing that's definitely been pretty interesting to me personally is that I think, specifically with pregnancy and miscarriages and the hardship around pregnancy, is actually like one of the least talked about Mm -hmm. topics, especially in a public forum. I have a close family friend who's sister recently had like a very tough time getting pregnant and she was pretty public in terms of sharing information online etc and i find it interesting that like specifically with babies i'd say i would almost go the distance to say like maybe it's the least talked about in terms of grief and things things mm-hmm. of that nature and the difficulties maybe around pregnancy in and of itself and it's funny because most of the time if you hear people talking about pregnancy and and having a baby, it's typically only associated, I guess, with the good. And mm. I've really rarely seen many forums, conversations around the difficulties, coping, grieving, and moving forward after a miscarriage, stillborn birth, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I want to get back into your story. And just in terms of the first three early miscarriages, how do you navigate that, just that alone?
0: Yeah. I was pretty anxious about the thought of becoming a mother because I was scared that I would be bad at it, not because of examples in my life, but because of my own fears of who I am and what I like and not being certain that I would be able to be that kind of in that role in the way that I would want to do it. And so because of health stuff that I had been diagnosed with previously, like PCOS, I wasn't even sure that I could have a baby. And I was okay with me because I was ambivalent. It wasn't like this is all that I've ever wanted and I know that I need to have my own children. And so in a very weird way, like those miscarriages showed me that I could potentially have children as upsetting as they were and as devastating as they were and painful physically and mentally and emotionally as they were. For me, they were also this strange sign that like maybe this was an avenue that I could pursue. And at that time also, I was with the people that you mentioned, like, I wasn't really talking about it. Only my close friends and family knew. I guess I was aware that people in my life had had miscarriages, right? I was aware that my mother and my aunts and some of these other people had had miscarriages and that that wasn't an uncommon thing in building your family. And so as sad as it was, it was also like, okay, like this is something that I'm kind of wrestling with and starting to understand in private that maybe this means that I could potentially have a successful pregnancy and then go on to have have children of my own.
1: After the first or the second miscarriage, and I guess the third, it sounds like, I guess, you weren't really thinking like, um like you were more, I'm going to keep trying, or what, what was like going through your mind at that point?
0: Yeah, so I think it did kind of wake me up to, okay, this is a thing that I could do. Two of them were like planned, like I was trying to get pregnant. One of them wasn't. I was really surprised by it. The first one, it was like, what? This is happening. And then it was like, okay, let's get intentional about this. And so the doctors at the time told me like, this is the hardest part of a successful pregnancy. Like if you can get pregnant, We can keep you pregnant. And Mm -hmm. so they were sort of like, well, you've got this part down. We just need to solve for the rest of it. So there was kind of a like, I think I was numb in a lot of ways and very disconnected from what was happening in my body. It kind of became like a project because I wasn't like, this is something I desperately want. I didn't yet feel connected to a baby. I just felt the physical effects of like, I feel really tired. I feel really nauseous. This is in no way fun. Like that was the point at which those pregnancies ended. And so there wasn't the part of connection of like, oh, this is a baby who's actually there and I'm bonding and all of this. You know, that didn't come until my full-term pregnancy. So there was a lot probably looking back, a lot of like dissociation, a lot of like stuffing the grief, not knowing how to process it because it hadn't been modeled for me and I wasn't seeking it out either. And so it just kind of, this is the thing. This is the thing that's happening to me. Now that all changed <laughs> with, the, with the next pregnancy.
1: Yeah. So at what point did you find out that the heartbeat was no longer there?
0: 37 weeks.
1: Wow. And- How did you cope with that?
0: I had been up to that point, a people pleaser, like pretty codependent in a lot of my relationships, just taking care of people because that was how I had gotten attention is being nice, right? I was like a super leader when I was a little girl and I got shut down by some teachers really early on who were triggered by a female wanting to lead. So I learned probably from the age of five that the way to get attention in the world was to be nice and to succeed, you know, in school. And I was wired to succeed at the things that they teach in school. So that worked out. So I can remember being in the hospital bed and like my in-laws coming in and, you know, my parents coming in and worrying about them and being like, oh my gosh, you know, there's not a, there's not a place for to her to sit and she's older and here's where you can sit and someone bring a chair. It's like, I'm holding court from this hospital bed while I'm being induced to deliver my dead daughter, right? Because I'm still thinking about everyone else. And then it was like the labor, right? It was like, well, I had to focus on that going through that. And my husband was able to process and cry and all of that. and I was just like pumped full of drugs and trying to go through this process. And so- It took me a while. It took me a while to give myself permission and really own that like this, this like the cognitive part of my brain had to tell like the rest of my body because that's how I operated at that point. Like this is actually a really big deal, Christine. Like this is a thing that like is a defining moment in people's lives. Like you have permission to grieve this and to stop taking care of everyone else mm. and to acknowledge it as a big deal that some people never recover from. And you know, I can just remember giving myself permission to cry and cry and cry in, in ways that I I don't know that I ever had. And I found myself like wanting to tell people that they didn't need to take care of me because. You're supposed to take, like my story was, you're supposed to take care of someone when they have a baby to hold and take care of. Well, I might've just had a baby, but I didn't bring a baby home. So I should be able to cook for myself and I should be able to take care of myself. And like, you shouldn't need to bring me food in this circumstance. And somebody said to me, Christine, like everybody knows there's nothing they can do. Just let them do something. Like they want to help, right? And I was like, okay, all right, they can bring food. And even just like that simple shift, really that started this path of me stopping being this lone island who needed to take care of everyone else and felt responsible for everyone else in my life and going like, oh, it it can be a two way street, right? Like that's how life is meant to be. And I am not okay. I'm not okay. This is not okay. (laughs) And What do I need in order to be able to get out of bed? What do I need in order to be able to brush my hair? Because that suddenly became a big deal, right? And to recognize that like the shock and the trauma and all of that was consuming and that I didn't have tools for it and that I needed help. Yeah, I think that was kind of the initial.
1: Did you realize that you needed help right away or... Do you more first go into like a dark space following following the loss or was it like pretty immediately where you realized, hey, I need help to keep moving forward? I
0: am forever grateful that the people who the hospital where, where I had her and the people who were in the room, like they had been trained. And that's not the case with every hospital. They had been trained in how to handle this and the resources to connect people with. We had hired a doula because I was originally going to be like hippy-dippy hypnobirth, like do all the things naturally. and had gone through the class and everything. And so it hired the woman who taught the class to become a really good friend. And so she didn't know what to do. She never attended a birth like this. And so she just got on her phone and she started contacting like all these other people and finding these resources for us. And so there's a a center for... A retreat center for parents who've lost a child or who have a very sick child in Wisconsin. And she got us connected with them. And she got us connected with a few of these other organizations support people like us. And that almost became like a lifeline of like, oh, mm. there's other people who like can say what's normal in this circumstance and who have been through this and are still alive. Like somehow they made it through. And so it was kind of a, it was a gradual process of like, after I got home, you know, going through the papers and the recommendations and was kind of one by one doing some outreach to sort of like find those lifelines in addition to being in contact with like our midwife and the nurses who are bereavement trained and like letting them do their protocol to support us so that, Yeah. It basically beginning to find a new normal, right?
1: Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's amazing how the finding a community, at least from my own experience, I lost my dad when I was 20 years old, my mom at 25, when I was 25 years old. And if I didn't find some of the communities that I'm involved with today, <laughs> it would be interesting to say the least, because I think I'd have an extremely different take perspective on life and grief and loss and And just the way I view the world. And it's funny, too, because I think specifically around finding community, like when my dad died, I was 20. I I was very naive. You know, I thought that really, I didn't have that many people in my network at that point, Mm. who had lost someone significant in their life. There were a few people, but not that many. And I'm now very involved in an organization experience camps, which which is a free one week camp for kids that have lost a loved one. And today that camp's like over a thousand kids. There's a wait list. And I remember the first time I went the first summer, the thing that honestly, probably still to this day that resonated with me was kind of, I was just taken back and I realized, oh, wow, I'm not, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who had lived through this. And actually I remember specifically telling my mom at the end of the week, it shifted my perspective where maybe when I was 20, I had lost my dad. I sort of had maybe a, a chip on my shoulder in the sense that I have sort of viewed the world like how unfair for the world to take my dad when I was 20. And then I get to this camp and there's over a 1000 kids there who are somewhere in between the ra- age range of nine to 16. And they lost the parent much younger or sibling much younger than me. And it shifted my perspective completely where I realized, hey, I actually have it so good. Sure, my dad died, but I had him Till I was 20 years old, a lot of these kids were much younger, 9, 10, 11, etc. And I think the the first summer I was with the youngest kids, so maybe 9 years old. And you know, you're sitting in a room with a bunch of 9-year-olds who have lived through significant loss, and you're all talking about the shared common theme. But it made me realize how, in some ways, I was actually so lucky, the circumstances that I was in. And I think that's one of the really powerful things around finding a community when you go through something, really difficult. And also, I guess, I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but like my surprise, I guess, to the fact that like, I was like, Oh, wow, I'm actually not the only one who has experienced this thing. And there's a lot of people who are just like me who understand exactly what I'm going through.
0: Totally, totally. And Faith's Lodge was that place for me to get to sit in a room of people around my age who you know had quote done everything right and had this insane experience you know at the end of their pregnancy and to to normalize it right like you said and to be able to process it and to understand that other people have lost kids at young ages right different stages of their lives and to find out even some of my own extended family members had and it, it wasn't talked about to your point right Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that being able to be in those rooms is key to perspective, to connection, to kind of making sense, some kind of sense of something that seems so senseless.
1: Yeah. Going off that, I guess, what was your child's name?
0: Maeve Evelyn.
1: Maeve. How many years has it been since your loss?
0: Yeah, six and a half.
1: So now six and a half years later... Have you been able to, or I don't want to say made sense of the things that don't make sense, but I guess what is your take on that? Because it is an interesting theme to say the least. And, you know, I think some things just don't make any sense. That's my own personal take. Like the world makes no sense. And I believe things are just so random. But what's your own personal take on that?
0: Yeah. I think really that that was the experience that woke me up. You know, I had all these perceptions of fear and. What are people going to think of me if I do something bigger? They're going to judge me. They're going to this, they're going to that. And step into kind of these dreams that I had had for helping people and having a bigger impact on the world. And the meeting that I made out of her loss, while I would never, ever choose it to have this, <laughs> to have this meeting <laughs> made, right, is yeah. that if I was still here, like, and that something that happened That to me was much worse than me dying. Like I would much rather have died and traded places with her. And so I thought, okay, if I'm still here, like I see two options. I can lock myself in a room because I can't cope. And I understand why people do that. And they numb out and I get it because it is unbearable. Or I can find a way to transmute the grief into something positive positive something that's going to help people, something that's going to create a legacy for her since she's not here to do it because that was the only way I knew to parent. Like, how do you parent a kid who's gone? Like, who never never was really here apart from with me. It's like, I don't want people to forget her. I don't want, you know, people to forget that she was real, that she existed. So what can I do that honors her? That's when I started doing the exploration of finally getting out of my own way of being like, hey, if I survive this, then, like, what really am I afraid of? Like, what could be worse? (laughs) I can't think of anything. So let's go.
1: I guess what came after as a result? Like, how'd your life change?
0: So the first, like, glimpse of maybe my own personal power or responsibility came out of anger, which was I was pissed that I was a couple months postpartum and I still was in my maternity clothes because that felt like a terrible, terrible offense to have to get up every day and put on clothes that reminded me that my baby wasn't here. And so I had always been this person ever since I left grad school who was like, I have to prove to people that I'm smart by figuring out how to do everything on my own for free. Even though, you know, I'd spent however much undergrad and graduate school. And so I had seen a friend who had transformed her body, right? And I saw her pictures on social and I was like, hey, this is really painful for me. I would really like to be able to wear my clothes again and feel a little bit more like myself after undergoing this trauma. Like, will you help me? And so that was the first time that I ever paid someone to like help me in that kind of a way. And it was like a hundred bucks. And to me, that was like, oh my gosh, I'm not worthy of that. And I did it because I was that angry. And I justified it by being like, well, I don't want to have to buy different clothes in a different size, blah, 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 right? And it worked. Within a few weeks, I was able to, you know, access my pre-pregnancy wardrobe. And that kind of showed me that, hey, again, allowing yourself to be supported and maybe investing, because then you'll actually, for me, I'll actually show up for the support if I have skin in the game, can create big dividends. And it was probably about a month later when I, happened upon a Facebook ad of this woman who obviously knew her target market and she was a business coach and I had never spent money on anything like that. And I wound up joining her program because I, at the time I thought that she was going to help me figure out how to make my online marketing agency like more impact driven and more successful and scale it. And what came out of that was actually, okay, what are the parts of that company that I really, really love and really Are my zone of genius and how can I create a business around those that has an impact across the world and get out of my own way, even though I'm still scared? And so that was the next step is really finding a way to make my work more meaningful and more impactful and more in honor of my daughter, more in alignment with my gifts, so that I could I could help people and create some meaning and some positivity for myself, even as I Continue to grieve and figure out how to rebuild my life.
1: And so, our guests can like just have some sense. What would you say? Like, can you just give a summary of your business today?
0: Yeah. So, my business is called Life with Passion. And I help people who are really impact driven and mission minded to grow their own businesses and quit their jobs if they're in them, become more successful if they're out. And then I also have to get a little bit meta over the past six years as I've then gone on to have two successful pregnancies that resulted in living children who are now two and four. I developed this method for going on being a guest on podcasts that really connected me to hosts and helped me create a lot of really great friendships from my basement here while I was pregnant and not wanting to go out in public and have people say stupid things to me because they didn't know my history. And along the way. I found that it was not only really fun and life-giving for me, but that it helped really, really help grow my business. And then it got recognized and people started asking me to teach it. And so I had to do my own inner work again to get over the fear and step into a new level of, of helping people to learn how to be, to tell their stories and be really good guests and connect with like amazing people like you through this medium that's exploding. And so that's an arm of the business that we've been building out this year so it's, it's those two things now.
1: That's so awesome to hear. Do you define yourself as a business coach, a life coach? It's a hybrid. What would you say is like how you would define your, your role or your business?
0: I would say people hire me for the business. And then they very quickly realize that it's not only strategy, because if it was strategy, they would have just read an article and done it already. Right. So when you run your own business, it's like, it's both, right? Cause it's you. And so I'm available for whatever they want to talk about because it all is the same. It all impacts the other. Um, so I'm a business coach on this side and then I would say like more of a media coach on the podcasting side.
1: Going back to what I had mentioned earlier, you know, you've worked with a lot of people. What would you say like why do people get in their own way and fall into this mindset or this trap of believing that they can't actually do something that, you know, that, that work has to be a miserable thing? I always find it funny. I find it fascinating when people talk about like dreading that it's going to be Monday. And I've always thought it's a little bit funny because it's like, I think personally I look at, I look at when people are miserable at work or their career or feel stuck. I'm like your choices in some ways brought you to that point. And I think I'm more talking maybe in particular around, you know, like I mentioned, I, I lived in New York city, one of the most expensive cities in the country and I see a lot of people who slowly increase their their lifestyle. And then it's like, oh, well, got to keep this job to pay those bills to keep this apartment. And it's like, well, you don't have to live in that humongous apartment. And so I, I find a lot of people end up <laughs> digging their own hole and finding that shooting themselves in the foot and then they can't figure out a way to get out. But I'm curious, what are your thoughts or your take on why people get stuck there?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with Like what was normal for hundreds or thousands of years? Like what is literally in our DNA, right? What was true for my parents and for my grandparents? And I know this because they tell me comments along the lines all the time, right? (laughs) Like, Christine, not everyone can start a business. I'm like, I know. And I'm not trying to work with all several billion people, right? But it's like the mentality of like, my grandmother was born on a farm in the depression with no running water, and she's my only living grandparent. She now texts and facetimes and you know, she's super active and all of this she's 88 years old. And she has no frame of reference for how to make money on the internet. You couldn't get childcare and have a job that paid more than your childcare where she was and with her education level and when she was building her family. That just it was not an option, right? It was one or the other. And so the paradigm has completely shifted. And our brains haven't caught up because to do something that's different than what everyone else says is normal is like, you're going to get kicked out of the tribe, right? And somewhere on our unconscious, like monkey mind level, getting kicked out of the tribe means dying, right? Which is why like the first time that I wanted to put a post up about my about my new business, I had this nervous energy. That was like, I'm either going to throw up or I'm going to exercise. It was like that kind of thing, right? And then the first time I sold like my biggest package ever, I literally did throw up. But I knew enough (laughs) about the nervous system to go, okay, this is just my body being like, this is terrifying. This is new territory. We feel like we're in fight or flight, even though we're sitting here completely safe, like talking to another human on the internet, right? Yeah. So that's a lot of it to me is... The nervous system regulation because most of us are walking around feeling like like victims of society of our nervous systems at their whims rather than recognizing like what they've now found with epigenetics and neuroplasticity that we actually have the power to like rewire ourselves and we just most people just don't embrace that yet
1: mm. you know it sounds like for both of us right we we woke up after you know a series of unfortunate events and i do think you know there is a lot of power in some ways around loss it can be very empowering i don't wish it upon anyone but more in the sense around you realize that life is so fragile and you know we're not here forever and where our time on earth is so limited and precious and it definitely can be empowering you know to at least for me you know it was very empowering to make me realize hey like there's that Steve Jobs quote, but you really have nothing to lose because we're here for a certain amount of time and no one knows how long it will be. We don't know. And that's why I personally, you know, I've sort of adopted this mentality where I can't control how much time I have on this earth. The only thing I can't control is how I spend the limited time I'm given. And that's sort of like the driving force. But I've developed that mentality and that mindset really as a result of the loss do you think there's a way to give that, that knowledge, <laughs> that wisdom, that perspective to someone without having to go through something so significant, something so painful, etc.?
0: It's such a good question. It's something that I've thought about a lot because I wondered when I started sharing my story, if I would attract people who had been through something similar and learning how much more common it was than I could have ever imagined afterward and what I really became determined to do was to help people, exactly what you said, wake up without having to wait for some kind of like completely devastating, you know, rug pulled out from under you moment. But I also find that, you know, those of us who are empathic and who are like, oh, I can't even imagine someone else's experience, I know I lived through mine and that's my experience and your experience is your experience and I can't imagine it, right? Because it's not my story and it's become your normal and this has become my normal to walk around with every day. And in any moment, it's a choice, right? In any moment, it's a choice to wake up and go, I saw this on TV or I saw this in fiction somewhere or I have a friend who went through something. It doesn't have to be you to imagine or to understand that life is short and that we do have a choice about how we invest the time that we have and I think maybe I was just really hard-headed about that and it didn't take that <laughs> losing babe for me to wake up to it right and yeah. maybe I, in my hope and my experience working with people all over the world has been a lot of them are ready to make that leap and do the hard thing like with a lot less grief involved so I pray that that continues
1: yeah it's tough you know because that's a funny thing because you know you know that It's like the inevitable place where everyone goes sometimes way too early in life, but it's hard to, it's hard to truly live your life, like carrying the feeling, knowing I'm going to die. What am I going to do today? Like there's so many distractions. I think a lot of people get caught up in being too focused around making money or I don't know. There's a lot of distractions or things that can sort of steer the car in a certain direction. And then sometimes it takes that terrible thing to pull you back a little bit and recognize, hey, like. I'm going off course a little bit, you know, but obviously it would be nice if it doesn't require that. And I don't think it does require that, like you're saying, you know, but I do think typically speaking, when bad things happen, it puts you in a more introspective space where you start to ask big questions like why, what now, how do I move forward, et cetera. You know, you spoke about your grandparents and there's that funny meme that starts like imagine I don't know if you've seen it, that's like, imagine you were born in the 1900 and on your fourteenth birthday, World War one starts it ends on your eighteenth birthday twenty two million people perish in a war then it gets into the Spanish flu. I've seen that mm-hmm. meme a lot in the last year, just going on around how much harder life was for our grandparents, our parents our grandparents, their grandparents and it's funny that that I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. that meme, but it um <laughs> it goes on to like I have Pits and pieces here in front of me. On your 29th birthday, the Great Depression begins. When you turn 39, World War II starts. At 50, the Korean War starts. Five million people perish. So it just goes on and on about for our grandparents, like for their generation, what they grew up with, compared to sort of some of the things that, you know, we've been faced with in our generations. It's interesting to see. And I don't know, I think in many ways, kind of like what you were saying, especially for... The older generations, like I think, when I think about what my grandparents had to do to put food on the table, and the limited resources they had versus what people have today, I think you had to be a lot more resilient back in the day to figure out, you know, how to navigate life. For sure. I mean, I think the grief conversation is only starting to become more and more, more people talking about grief, more services options out there to help people who are grieving. But like, I don't think when my grand when my grandma was growing up, there was anything, you know?
0: No, no you just don't talk about it, right? I mean, yeah. I watched her grieve the loss of my grandfather. And while she would say, I feel like I lost my right arm, she was also like, okay, and we're moving on, right? Because it's just like, <laughs> there were not the tools there. It didn't make any sense in the way that she was raised to sit down and cry
1: about it. Yeah. Going back to the work thing, I really deep down... I so believe that everyone deserves to do something that makes them happy. On Monday to Friday, like so deeply believe it is better to do a job, make less money doing a job that makes you completely happy than do a job that you even hate a little Mm bit where you're making a little bit more money. And I think like, especially to maybe the, the younger audience or people in their 20s, 30s, I wish that that's something that was applauded more often. You know, like I'd rather sell Pizza out of my car if that's the thing that made me happy and make thirty thousand dollars less than what I can make working a job where I'm completely miserable. Like I I think it's like a necessary thing. And I think it's funny too, because I think so often the question, and I've spoken about this before on some episodes, but like the question around happiness is so often I think never asked. Like I remember when I was in college, everyone's asking you, What are you gonna do when you finish school? What's your job? great, you got that job, applaud, you know, they applaud that you're on this path where you're sort of climbing, doing the right things, taking the right steps to put you on a good path. But it's like no one takes a step back to say like, is that thing going to make you happy? Or is that the path you think you want to go down? And a lot of times like people applaud the path where, you know, I'll use like becoming a doctor or a lawyer, just because it's a little bit more straightforward than maybe the path of becoming an entrepreneur. But you know, like, it's so applauded. Oh, it's great. You're going to become a lawyer, a doctor, but I don't think the question around like, is that really the thing that you think is going to make you happy? Oftentimes when people are applauding you for that, it's because you're on a path to make a nice living. Mm -hmm. And I wish that the framework around picking a career path started to become more focused around doing things that actually make you happy.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's change it.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess that's why uh, you know you're you're building an incredible business that you're really passionate about because it sounds like that's something that you get to do on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I'm grateful to be able to play a part in helping other people wake up, just like you.
1: Wow, that's awesome. Well, we could start to wrap up the show. You know, my podcast is all about facing adversity, moving forward, and building your dream life. With that being said, there's a lot of bits of gold in this episode. But what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love?
0: Hmm. I think it's a choice because the happiness researchers have found that happiness precedes success, not the other way around, right? So not that there aren't plenty of things that are hard on a daily basis and our brains find more of what we think about, right? They match up more of what we think about. We have a reticular activating system. That's its only job in our brains. And so, I think like on any given day, it's a choice to show up in a certain way. It's a choice to ask the questions about am I happy doing this? Is this insanity? What could change, right? So that you're more active in the creation of your own life rather than going through the motions because it was your parents' idea or it was because society's idea or whatever, but it's like, why? Why am I doing this? Is it great or is it making me crazy? Like recognizing (laughs) that we do have options, even when we don't feel like we do. I think that is key because if we feel trapped and stuck, we're not going to exercise any of our own agency. But when we feel like we have options, then we can do something to change our situation and then amazing things happen.
1: Love that powerful message there. Where can our listeners find you, connect with you, learn more about what you're doing if they want to look to potentially work with you?
0: Mm, you can join my my facebook group that's where i hang out i'd love to see you there and personally connect with you
1: awesome well christine thanks so much for coming on the show today
0: thank you so much for having me this has been amazing
1: thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the bits of gold podcast if you like this episode please take a minute share with a friend subscribe and leave a review it really helps us grow the show and continue to put out amazing content. Thank you again, and hope you all have an amazing week.
0: I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at.